Welcome to Wellness Now, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. Each week we go in depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Wellness Now, presented by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. I'm your host, Dr. Michael White. Feet are your body's foundation, so keeping them healthy is vital to your overall health. That's why today we're talking about everything you need to know about keeping your feet healthy. Joining us to discuss this is Dr. Brian Roth, a district medical group podiatrist at Valleywise Health. Dr. Roth, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. What are some of the most common reasons that people will come in to see a podiatrist? There's a lot of different reasons. It could be a parent who's concerned about their child uh, and their flat feet and what impact that's going to have on their life. It could be your athlete that's coming in with a new ache and pain. Um, it could be your diabetic patient that are, who's there to establish care. It could be somebody who's had an injury, a, a broken bone who's seeking treatment. Within our po uh, patient population, um, somebody who's seeking help uh, with wound care. Is it just the feet or do people also come in to see a podiatrist for other leg issues as well? Not just the toes, not just the, the you know, kind of the front part of the foot, but yes, the, the, the heel, uh, the ankle, uh, the kind of lower end of the leg, shin splints uh, we tend to treat. Uh, there's a lot of different things. So uh, specifically with athletes, they'll come in with like a IT band syndrome. Uh, we're given treatments on those as well. So how do you go about diagnosing a lot of these different issues with such a diverse things of conditions that you may see um, in your practice? Three simple rules. We, we listen. <laughs> We have to look and then we have to feel. The majority of the diagnoses that we come up with simply by talking to the patient, getting that timeline, moving on and, and, and just kind of looking at the overall structure of their foot and then and manipulating the foot in the, our examination and um, then using a combination of whether it's lab studies, x-rays, advanced imaging, and then we come to our diagnosis. What are then some of the main ways that you begin to offer treatment for the conditions that you discover? Uh, largely depends on the condition. Uh, more acute conditions, and depending on the severity, may lead more to a surgical, but most people prefer the supportive or conservative route. So it kind of varies on the acuity and the chronicity uh, of what they're coming in for. In general, you know, if it's something that's an elective reconstruction, we always try to exhaust all the conservative stuff before we go to anything that's reconstructive some of the things that people may do in their lifestyle that can affect their feet and predominantly I'm thinking about folks that may be overweight or, or smoking or lack of exercise how do those types of things overall affect people's feet specifically with weight and and diabetic related issues really affect the foot um, and it's all kind of intermingled if you have uh, your diabetic patient who happens to smoke um, it's going to affect their blood flow. If they have an open wound, it's going to take significantly longer to heal. If uh, they're overweight and they're walking, it's going to take that wound longer to heal. If uh, they have some form of a renal or a kidney uh, disease, on top of everything that I've already mentioned, it also takes it longer to heal. It sets them up for, uh, unfortunately, uh, their higher risk for amputation or limb loss. And whether that's, you know, the toe part of the foot or, unfortunately, their leg. Um, so. There are a lot of different factors. Their diet, um, you have somebody who's 
who tends to drink a lot of soda, and that affects their bone quality and their healing. Um, different vitamin levels affect their uh, ability to heal. So there are a lot of different things. Um, their day-to-day -day activities actually affect their feet. So if someone starts to develop issues such as foot pain and we ignore them for so long, how does that, how can that impact people going forward? You need your feet to walk. Uh, every time you take a step and if it's bothering you, whether that's simply an ingrown toenail and you're walking around, you start limping, it affects other parts of your body. Then people come in like, oh, my, this started with my toe hurts, but now my hip hurts, my back hurts. <laughs> Everything hurts, so so it could be something as simple as that. It could be a neuroma, uh, that's an inflamed nerve and kind of the in between the toes. It could be a bunion. It could be you know um, toe contractures. Uh, anything that's it really is an impact on their ability to go and obtain a glass of water or go to the restroom. Those are all things that, foot pain in general. If it's something that's more related to tendons or soft tissue those um, can worsen over time. So the Achilles tendon, you have an athlete that kind of ignores it over time, that tendon can degenerate and it leads to a higher risk for rupture, which could lead to, depending on which pathway they want to pursue, surgery versus kind of a supportive therapy in their rehab. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about how to take care of your body's foundation, your feet. Valleywise Health offers exceptional care at several locations across Maricopa County. If you need medical care or have questions for one of our clinicians, visit valleywisehealth.org to get started. So one of the issues that you mentioned early on that may, people may come see you for was uh, a condition that you said was flat feet. Some folks have flatter feet than others or less of the arch of their foot. What sort of issues can that cause, and then how do you go about treating that? Uh, depends on the age. Um, with our pediatric population, if they come in with flat feet, the very first thing that I look at is both feet or one foot. If it's one foot, then there's higher instance of, of something that could be wrong with them, that they were born with a, a, um, a coalition where two bones are kind of abnormally fused together. If that's the case, then typically those are resolved by surgery. If it's missed throughout their life and as they progress, it can, uh, depending on which bones are affected, it can lead to arthritis in the adjacent uh, joints in the foot, which would mean that they do need something done surgically later in life and it changes. It goes from something where you're just freeing up the abnormal fused bones to actually having to go in and, and electively fuse those bones. Now you could get by with orthotics, uh, kind of changing shoes and activity, but the overall structure can change. Other issues for flat feet, obviously, other than trauma, you can have flat feet that are just congenital. You just have normal flat feet. And, and I, I liken that to the shocks on the car that are completely worn out. Your foot kind of changes position as you walk. And uh, the flattening is a shock absorption. But if you're functioning and when you're walking, completely flat, then you're not able to absorb impact or the forces that are, are going through. And what that does is that puts more stress on your knees or your hip or your back. So some people complain about those things. So then we have to kind of soften them up, so to speak, shock absorbers. With respect to our diabetic population, they come in with a flat foot and maybe it's a new onset. And new onset flat feet kind of concern us because that can preclude that or they could have what's known as a charco neuroarthropathy or 
a collapse of their foot. So those are more acute issues and there's different treatments for that, surgical and non-surgical. Uh, but that's kind of like their end process for a flat foot. And in general, uh, and I would say just one more, and most, one of the most common things that we see, flattening of the feet during pregnancy. Very, very common. As your body is getting ready, ready for the natural birthing process, not only are our, 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 our hips and everything uh, kind of the ligamentous laxity that we're experiencing, you also see it in the feet. You know, one of the things that you were just talking about as part of this is something around the types of you know, shoes or support, you know, to help with some of that shock absorption that you were just talking a little bit about that. What are some of the best types of shoes for, say, exercising, and maybe some types of shoes that we should be avoiding? So it really depends on your foot type. And there's, there's in general, three different foot types. You have your flat foot, a neutral arch foot, and then a kind of a very high arch foot or a cavus foot. Flat feet, they kind of need some support. They need more of a rigid sole, but with that cushioning component. Uh, a neutral arch, you can pretty much buy any athletic shoe and get away with it. When you get into your higher arch foot, they definitely need some form of cushioning. If you put them in a rigid shoe, they won't tolerate it. They're going to be very angry. So the minimalist style shoes in somebody who um, has a high arch, probably not the best thing because there is zero support there. Uh, as far as like the name brands, um, I don't like to push too far down that. As long as it's a supportive shoe, a closed toe in general, if you're going to be doing some activity, and the heel counter or the heel part of the shoe should be rigid in general. One of the types of shoes we see a lot is high heel shoes. You know, if I think about my daughters, the different heights of shoes has slowly increased over time. Is there too high or high that people can have? My wife and my, my children partake in the high heels and in general I tell them nothing more than about an inch and a half to two inches. It can lead if, if you have someone who is wearing high heels predominantly or on a daily basis, there are things that can, they can develop painful corns, uh, hammer toes, they can end up with bunions, they can end up with neuromas. Uh, they're at a higher risk for spraining their ankle. Uh, you know, I mean, imagine somebody running down the hall with a six-inch heel, and they, they're, they're not exactly the most stable platform to be uh, walking in. And then finally, uh, the traditional kind of pump bump, or what we call a Haglund's deformity, so a painful bump on the back of the heel. Podiatrist Dr. Brian Roth is answering your top questions about foot health. You can make a virtual or in-person appointment with a district medical group provider at ValleyWise Health by calling 833 833- 855-9973, Monday through Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m., or by visiting valleywisehealth.org and clicking the book appointment button. So one condition you talked about as we were talking about shoes there was hammer toe. What is hammer toe and what kind of problems can it cause? So hammer toes are a abnormal flexion of your toes. Most toes have two joints. If those joints can't fully extend, you likely have a hammer toe. Many people have them, and they, there's multiple different forms of hammer toes. But in general, if you're in a shoe, a closed toe shoe, uh, or a narrow toe shoe, when you step down, that toe pops up and it rubs, and it creates pain. And then that's the quote-unquote corn that people complain about. If you're somebody who doesn't have great sensations, like some of our neuropathic patients are diabetics and other associated acquired neuropathies, that pressure 
they may not sensate or may not be able to feel, and they can lead to wounds, infections, etc. How do you treat that condition? There are a couple different ways. Um, it could be something if it's uh, reducible, and depending on what we're trying to, what is our end goal? Uh, is it somebody that is rubbing in the shoe and they're, they don't have sensation and we're trying to prevent it from wounds and they have a semi-reducible, we could go and simply release, a, do a little percutaneous approach, minimally invasive surgery and release a tendon just to straighten that toe. Uh, if it's somebody who uh, it's painful when they try to uh, any type of shoe that they're wearing, you can make an incision kind of on the top of a toe. You cut out the joint and you put some form of fixation, whether it's a pin, a screw, a specialized implant in there to stabilize that toe. There's also ones where you just kind of go in and we release that joint um, just to kind of decrease the, the position of where that toe is sitting. Very interesting. The other condition you were kind of mentioning too is bunions. So I know bunions are very common, especially as we you know see get older, you see this more, more frequently. What are bunions and how do we treat those? Nobody knows. <laughs> no. So bunions in general, um, there's a lot of different reasons for them, whether it's shoes, whether it's family, whether you have some form of generalized ligamentous laxity, whether or not you've had some form of trauma. There are so many different reasons for a bunions, and there's so many different forms of bunions. I mean, there are literally, there's probably 150 different treatments for a bunion. It just depends on what you have and what your x-rays show. What are your clinical findings? And then we have to correlate that to what really what we're trying to achieve. But in general, most people will come in and be like, oh, I, I definitely got these from my grandmother, from my grandfather, from my dad, from my mom. My sister has the same thing. They know somebody and they don't want something like it. Usually they're a progressive. Um, if you have one early in life, uh, and, there's, and there, again, there's different forms there, whether it's juvenile versus adult, but they usually are progressive. Uh, a bunion itself is where the big toe starts to swing away from the midline of the body. The bone connecting the big toe, the metatarsal, starts swinging towards the inside. So you have this really large uh, angle. Uh, that bump typically rubs up against the shoe, and that's what we're talking about as far as a bunion is. How do you treat those? Much like we've talked about with hammer toe, where we're doing a little bit of surgery, maybe some different types of shoes? Sure. There's a handful of different um, regions where we can address the bunion. Depends on the angle of the deformity itself, whether there's stability, um, at the joint, uh, even behind that metatarsal bone, there's, they vary from cuts in the bone to shift the bone back and kind of reduce the toe. Bone cuts within the big toe itself and the metatarsal, they kind of vary within the location of that metatarsal, uh, whether it's closer to the toe or further back in the foot, and then fusions. And ultimately, whether or not there's arthritis within the big toe joint. If there is, then you have to address that arthritis. One of the other common conditions we hear about when the feet, um, and oftentimes can ever be advertised on television just because of the of over-the-counter type medications that are available, is athlete's foot. What is athlete's foot, and how do we go about treating that? One of my favorite uh, things to tell pa patients is that they have fungus. <laughs> so it is a fungal infection. It's a very common fungal infection. Most uh, patients that we see that come in through are, are young teenagers that are um, just hitting their pubescent age, and uh, they'll come in complaining of, my feet are sweaty, I'm changing my socks multiple times a day, my feet itch, I get these little blisters, they just started a sport. So 
it's a fungal infection. Um, the easiest way to get rid of this, it does take a little bit of work. Lysol works great. Spray that in your shoes, let them air dry. If not, uh, wash them, set them outside in our sun. UV light is a great um, antifungal. Uh, there are topical therapies that you can do, creams, ointments, lotions, solutions, uh, and ultimately if all of those fail, there are pills that you can take for it. You know, one of the last kind of, you know, common conditions that I think about when I when we think about the feet is something called plantar fasciitis. You know, many people that you'll talk to have said, you know, said, well, I've had this at some point during my life. And what exactly is plantar fasciitis? Plantar fasciitis is the most common complaint other than somebody establishing care for diabetes that, that we see. Heel pain, heel spurs, somebody comes in, they're like, my foot hurts, specifically my heel, the very first step I get out of bed. Uh, I limp, I have to kind of stretch it a little bit, that pain gets better as the day goes on. The plantar fascia is inflamed. The plantar, the plantar fascia is a dense band of tissue that starts on the heel and extends all the way out along the arch, all the way into the toes. And every time that you take a step down, the foot kind of elongates and the fascia pulls on where it originates from on the heel. Over time, there's a little bit of bleeding, that bleeding calcifies and you end up with like a tiny little heel spur. It's not so much the heel spur, it's really the inflammation at that junction. That's the pain that they're getting. One of the common treatments, good shoes, no barefoot, no sandals. I usually have a thing where I tell people to avoid karate and jiu-jitsu for the time being but keep a good solid pair of shoes, avoid the flip-flops, and lots and lots of stretching. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about how to take care of your body's foundation, your feet. When you think about you know, all of these conditions and things, one of the other common questions that I often hear is, your feet may change size during the day and may be bigger at the end of the day than they were at the start of the day. Is there a reason for that? Sir Isaac Newton. Gravity. <laughs> so yeah, so at the beginning of the day, especially individuals that are sitting at a desk or in, uh, somebody that's on a long flight, it's kind of, you know, uh, if you've been on an airplane recently and you flip over that card, there's little exercises to kind of move your legs up and down and it's all related to our venous system. And if you're sitting in a spot not really moving all day, your legs will pull. We really need, we're, we're designed to move and walk, and uh, we need that walking mechanism to get that blood back out of our lower extremities. You know, as we think about conditions and conditions, you know, in our feet, are there any conditions that affect one gender versus the other gender? The one that comes to mind uh, immediately is a Haglund's deformity or, or the pump bump. And again, I, you know, we kind of mentioned it earlier with the high heels. That is definitely more common in uh, women than in men. How often, you know, is foot surgery necessary? I know you said early on that we try to exhaust all of our conservative options and things before we get into that point. But how often do you and what makes that decision for you and your colleagues to finally say, okay, this is something that we need to be more aggressive and treat? So, for instance, uh, plantar fasciitis, the most common thing that we see. Of those patients, we may do surgery on three, four, maybe five per year. It's really a patient-directed treatment. There's not a ton of things other than fractures and sometimes your infectious process that a patient really needs surgery. 
But if you have a large bunion and it's creating issues for you to get up to get a glass of water, then I think at that point, as long as you've exhausted your supportive or your conservative therapy, it's up to the individual when they proceed. There's not a lot of pathology or, or issues that somebody needs to be rushed into the operating room for. You know, we've talked a lot about diabetes and a lot about diabetes and how it affects your foot. Why is it so important for a diabetic to have good foot care? Preventative medicine and preventative care, an ounce of it is worth so much more in the future. I, I, I can't stress this enough. The, the people that I really try to make a difference in, and I try to make a difference in everybody, but the ones that I, I feel for are the young type one diabetic patients. They haven't done anything wrong. Um, this is nothing that, this just was kind of tossed on them. I know we've been doing this long enough, we know some of the complications that can occur. And it's not just foot related. Uh, they can't smell it, taste it, feel it. This is attacking their blood vessels. This is attacking their heart. It's attacking their kidneys. It's attacking their eyes. So these are people that we really try to, to connect with and make a difference with. No, and it's very important, you know, as you said, it's just if the diabetes can be just such ravaging on the body and certainly not having, you know, some of that sensation, you know, if your foot becomes injured can yeah. truly be a devastating complication yeah. for this. You know, one of the other conditions that we often hear about, and I imagine that you also see a number of folks in your practice is ingrown toenails. Kind of what causes that and how do we go about treating that? Couple different things. It could, I mean, the most common thing is somebody has cut their toenails way short. They've cut them way back at an angle, or they'll rip the nails and they leave a little spike. And that little spike, as the nail continues to grow out, it grows into the nail fold. There's a little, uh, kind of creates an open wound. It gets infected, and you end up with your like kind of infected, ingrown toenail or a paronychia. Uh, some of the other things that can create that are uh, actually deformities of your bone. And as the nail grows, the nail kind of becomes this pincer-shaped, uh, very sharp uh, angles. And, and not, not only addressing the nail itself, sometimes you have to remove parts of the bone that are underneath to train the toenail to regrow normally. Uh, so they're very common. Uh, most of the time, we, we recommend or advocate cutting that nail kind of with the shape of the toe itself. We're all different. Um, some of the older uh, education was, you know, or, or uh, pointers was, hey, just cut it straight across. Well, everybody grew, everybody's different, so you can't really say that. So just cut your nail with the shape of your toe, and that'll help prevent them. So what else can people do to help prevent pain in their feet? Really, uh, diet, exercise, good shoes. Uh, if you're planning on going to an amusement park, don't wear a pair of flip-flops. You may want to wear some sensible shoes. And most of the, you know, we hear, oh, it's, it's really hot outside. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so wear some good shoes. Wear something that's, you know, that's going to support your foot. Again, I, I don't get too hung up on the name brand as long as it's something that's, that's comfortable for you. And don't buy a brand new pair of shoes and decide to go to said amusement park and wear them for the first time. You want to try to break them in to see if there's any issues prior to you going. Well, as we end our time here together today, what are three things that our audience can do that best help them take care of their feet? The first thing I would say is, is be aware of what's going on. I'm, I'm shocked at times when people have a large soft tissue mass. Something that's that's uh, apparent to me that is an issue, 
that they say has been there for months and months and months. So be aware, know things that are changing with not only your foot, but your entire body. Be proactive. That is, don't ignore it. I tell people all the time, don't be the ostrich, don't bury your head in the sand. That's super important because it's not just gonna go away. I think finally, just take care of yourself. There's nothing wrong with going and seeing a doctor, your, your dentist, your optometrist, your primary care physician, all of that is super important. And if there's something that's related to your foot, we're happy to help. Dr. Roth, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. If you missed any part of the show or want to hear something again, you can access all of our blogs and podcasts at valleywisehealth.org. Talk to you again soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to Wellness Now, brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org. There you'll find blogs, podcasts, and information about the healthcare providers you heard on the show. You can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.